0: Hello and welcome to the Tennis Memphis podcast. Alvin Abston is something of a Tennis Memphis Renaissance man. He plays tennis competitively, teaches tennis at Eldon Rourke, Bellevue and Raleigh, teaches tennis at the lab school, strings everyone's rackets and he also plays competitive softball. Alvin has had a variety of jobs throughout his life but at heart he is a tennis lifer in the trenches at the forefront of what Tennis Memphis does. I started by asking him about his introduction to the game.
1: Okay, well, Stephen Lane kind of gave me my start when I was about 13. I'm a boys and girls club young man, so came up through the free Tammy clinic at that point. And Stephen was teaching at Bellevue, and just kind of started from there. Uh, going back as far as teaching, I was playing at Lemoyne. This was 2001, 2002. And I wanted a way to continue to play, so I applied for a job at a place called Camp Lohican in Lake Como, Pennsylvania. So I did that roughly nine summers. Um, Teaching now, just learning the great base system, and it's helping me hone my game as well as teaching everybody else.
0: So you've made some changes a little bit on your own
1: game, is that right? Yes. Serve heavily because there was a nice hitch in it um forehands actually got him more consistent a little more pace on it now and it's helped my backhand which was my stronger of my two ground strokes anyway
0: right so going back to Stephen lang at bellevue can you recall what that was like because obviously Stephen now runs tennis members but what was it like to be involved when he was on the court more and involved in that sense
1: just a huge energy about him it was just he wanted the best out of everybody. It didn't matter what background you were from, where you were coming from. You're talking – all of these are kids from South Memphis that are coming to learn tennis at a South Memphis center that we've never seen before. So just knowing that he wanted to introduce the game to us and to keep us going into the game where some of us didn't take. I myself, I was big on basketball at the time. So – but – History has a way of bringing you back.
0: Right. And can you talk about your time at LeMoyne, Owen? We we make fun of each other because we were in the same conference, the SIAC. Right. So tell us your history of uh, college tennis.
1: Well, my history of college tennis is just – it's a little stagnant, honestly. It's more so just I started one day. I wasn't even on scholarship or even thinking about playing at LeMoyne. I just happened to be between classes, and I had my rackets with me. So I went out on the courts there and just hit a few serves. And fortunately for me, the then at the time ladies basketball coach and tennis coach, now the AD, William Anderson, saw me, and he just told me to stay put, went and grabbed his racket. I maybe hit with him for about 10 or 15 minutes, and two days later I had a scholarship at LeMoyne.
0: Oh, wow. So how many years did you play there?
1: I only played actually the one year. So I played 2001 and 2002. Um, honestly, probably should have kept going, but I my my head wasn't there at the time.
0: Right. So you've had a couple of different jobs. I know you were just giving me some tax advice. You worked for the IRS. Can you talk about other jobs you've had since uh, high school, I guess, before working with tennis members full-time?
1: Okay. Well, uh, if we're going back there, it'll basically be, yes, I worked for the IRS for four years. Before then, I worked uh, pretty much an array of jobs at the current church that I attend, St. Luke's United Methodist Church that's on Highland. That included security, after school care, uh, bus driving, athletic ministry, you name it. Before then, then you're getting into the Camp Lohican days, which were basically summers that kind of intertwined with St. Luke's. Uh, camp Lohican, again, is a sleepaway camp that's in the Pocono Mountains in Lake Como, Pennsylvania. And, you know, shout out to all my Lohicanites.
0: So that was a special period, that, those summer camps here. Camp come back, obviously, so you must have liked it.
1: Oh, yes. Loved it. Uh, the relationships forged The overall just learning, um, learning tennis there too. A gentleman named Jim Jensen, who's really big in the Midwest when he was teaching full-time, is the gentleman that kind of helped me on my journey to actually start teaching.
0: Right. So can you remember what it was like like giving your first lesson or or your first clinic? (laughs) Were you nervous? Were you
1: enjoying How, How did that all go? So first lesson is a bunch of junior kids so ecd for us five six never really touched a racket and really it's get them out on the court just get them moving around so you can imagine at 22 never taught a lesson and there's just these like eight or ten kids just staring at you like what are we gonna do (laughs) so it made life entertaining but Over time, you get your feet wet, you get comfortable, you start to plan a little bit more, plan a lot better, especially now. But thinking about it, from there to now, it's night and day. Right. So
0: So the first time I saw you on court, I think, was at the summer camp. You had your hands full there uh, at Eldon Rourke. You had Mm -hmm. a ton of kids every day. So can you talk about that experience and the numbers and the the energy and the day and all those ones in eight weeks. So right. how, how, how did you feel that experience went for you?
1: Actually, this was my first summer camp here. So that in itself, comparing, I'd almost say apples to oranges, where you had different periods of, you only had a certain amount of kids that could sign up, to now you're having maybe 40, 50 kids on a court at a time that you're overseeing. So you're having to make sure one set of kids is on this path. One set of kids is really learning on this path. The younger kids are just really getting started. So you're keeping it fun for them as well. So it's a lot of back and forth and just making sure that you're on top of things to keep them on top of their game as well.
0: So you're in the process of building up a program at Raleigh and building up that town center. Can you tell me the history of that?
1: I believe it was 2019, I think, when they first redid the first four courts. Okay. So there was still hardly any traction. They were due summer camps out there, but that was it for the most part. Um, Turn around to about the time, you know, COVID hits tennis starts to pick back up because it's something that you can stay separate, but you can still do. So with some of the the programming here and just even like some of the guys that just kind of play between all of the places, we actually had a kind of just a fun day out there where it was like some guys from Memphis and then some guys from like Mississippi came up, and we just played out there, and it was great then. When was that? This was I want to say November of 2020, okay. and from there it became okay. There's a little traffic, so let's let's invest a little bit. So they did the other four courts, and now annually there may be three or four tournaments that Tennis Memphis will host out there, cool. and we're trying to get a lot of a lot more programming out. Um, one thing right now, Friday evenings, as long as the weather's good, from six to eight. We have programming, so by all means come out. It's free of charge. We have rackets if you need them. Just come on out and enjoy.
0: So, Alvin, you wear numerous different hats in your role with Tennis Mamster a Renaissance mind. You've got the stringing going. You're teaching some adults out here, you're teaching some juniors in rally. And then, so you're doing the lab school. What is the lab school? And if I left anything out, let me know.
1: Okay, so the lab school is a school that is, I guess, recently just started. It's actually being run out of a church, but their ages are from, I believe, 3 to 11. They're running, I believe, maybe like three or four different classrooms right now, but it's just a regular school. They just don't have like a PE curriculum, really. So right now... um, Coy Morrison got together with us over the summer to hopefully start something that would just kind of grow into a tennis program at their school. Well, that's turned into now their two older classes taking instruction twice a week for an hour a day. So they're learning pretty much how our younger groups learning. They just start out really, really slow. And as they continue to build, they're learning to hit more balls. And it's, it's on a blacktop. It's on a playground and a parking lot right now. So, so. there's no net? Well, they they have kind of what, the, what you would call, a, I guess, a travel net or a pop-up net. Cool. So those get set up so they're able to actually hit the ball over, and they actually kind of get to see the fruits of their labor right now. That's
0: really cool. A lot of the time people misuse the word fan because it's short for fanatic. <laughs> and I don't think it would be... A misuse of the term fan to call you a fan of tennis. You're playing a lot. You love teaching. You love the string and you love the gear. What is it about tennis that you love so much? And, and am I right in, in calling you a fan of tennis?
1: You you are right of calling me a fan of tennis. Um, honestly, I, I'm guessing because to a point, I can say tennis may have saved my life. It, for a while... There, there was a, there was a dark place, and just, there were a couple of friends that at that point I went to school, I went to college with that actually played tennis that kind of got me back into the fold because I had gotten away from it. It, it just helped calm because it wasn't something that's been conquered. It's something that can't be conquered. So it's something that helps me improve every day. It's something that helps me keeps me engaged every day.
0: So, tell me about your background in other sports in terms of playing, uh, supporting, teaching, all that. Um, I I think you're a sports fan as well. Is is that right?
1: Correct. Um, As everybody in Tennis Memphis knows, I go across the spectrum as far as sports. Um, I still play competitive softball. Um, Actually, I play 40-plus softball. Yes, I'm that old. You can't tell by looking at me at times. But... Uh, The team I played with actually won a world ring in Dallas earlier this year. Um, I still play basketball, not as competitively as I used to, but I do play. Um, Weird fact, every year up until, well, probably next year now, I have actually converted a dunk every year on my birthday for the last 12 years. Wow. So... This was it, though. <laughs> um, football, I love. I love college football. Wait, what do you mean this is it? Oh, it, there will not be another attempt. My oh, My knees cannot start. my knees cannot handle it at this point. Oh, no. When so, is your next birthday? February 23rd. <laughs> That's funny. And
0: then football, you were
1: saying? Football, um, love in general, love more so the college game. And this is the only time that I say go Badgers, is, but it's because it's for Wisconsin and not Spring Hill. <laughs> That's funny.
0: So your wife and I have some history on the tennis court.
1: <laughs>
0: and I uh, unfortunately hit her in the face with a feed one time. Yes. And uh, I apologize to both of you uh, for that happening.
1: Dorian. You heard the apology on the podcast.
0: I've seen you both on the court a a good few times since then. So what's that like working with your wife, trying to teach her her tennis? How's that going, and and what's that experience like?
1: It gets entertaining. Um, Obviously, I'm having to learn to leave tennis on the tennis court and keeping everything separate. thats And that's been a big thing of mine to really learn. So as far as teaching her, I don't have any true issues because she does listen. She attempts to execute exactly what she needs to. She's grown night and day honestly from when she first picked up a racket back in March. So again, our goal for her has been she plays a mixer by December. So I've still got a month and a half.
0: Cool. What was it like working security? <laughs> you, do you have any funny, funny stories from that? Ah,
1: okay. Um, There have been more stories as far as that where you may find a person squatting in a courtyard. There have been small small things as far as, okay... Someone's in a building that they're not supposed to be in as far as a church. Okay, you're not supposed to be over here. Or soap comes up missing. It's not really anything you're having to carry anybody out or anything like that. So maybe the soap story may be the most entertaining just because there was a guy for about six weeks that would legit come in and basically bathe in the restroom. But he'd take the entire vial of soap to do it. And for maybe about three or four weeks, we had suspicions, but we could never really say. It. So, in having to actually set up everything properly, we made sure when... You mean the, set him up to be cut. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that in itself was the toughest thing, I think, ever. Because, yeah, that's not fun to literally have to walk in on a person as they're, yeah. We'll just leave it at
0: that. Yeah. So, so how did you catch him?
1: Basically, we used about half a vial of soap. So this way, maybe if you had to, it'd be just enough to fully bathe and gave it maybe about 10 minutes after the guy walked in, and we could actually see how he would like disconnect the actual soap uh, container, get everything out and put it back without anybody knowing. So wow. in that 10 minutes, yeah.
0: So you would empty it out into a bottle or something? And yes. Away he went, wow, well, that's a funny story. So, So what was it like when you confronted the guy?
1: it it was one of those it it had taken three people and the reason why it took that many it was just so we would walk him out instead of it being one on one where it would be a real confrontation Mm. so it was just letting him know hey one you know you're not supposed to do this because this soap is really for people's hands so they can wash so they can go in and eat breakfast we were doing breakfast for the homeless at this point but he was using it to actually bathe, and we just let him know, like, hey, this is something you can't do. We're going to let you still get breakfast, but at this point, when you're coming in, you have we pretty much have to know when you're here. Right. Because we can't let you just walk anywhere by yourself, because right now we can't trust you. Right. But it all worked out in the end. It did.
0: That's good. So a close friend of yours, Geo Plater or Platter? <laughs> Plater. Gio Plater, we have some things in common. Uh, Gio and I, we were again, both in the SIAC. Right. But uh, we're also both trained by Steve Smith. So okay. can you talk a bit about your kind of doubles partnership you have with him? You had a tournament there two weeks ago. I believe you had some success. So do okay. you mind well, elaborating on that?
1: Well, I'll go back a little further on that. So Gio, yeah. at the point when I met him, was actually the head coach at Le Mournoy. Right. So... There was a point where, and sorry, Chip, sorry, John. We played Chip and John at Bellevue. And at this point, I was just really getting back into playing. And for Chip and John, it was ugly. Really? <laughs> I, I won't say the score out loud, but it was ugly.
0: Some bagels? Uh, yeah, a couple of bagels in there. Or some breadsticks?
1: A couple of bagels and a breadstick, yeah. Right. But in any case... Uh, getting to a little bit later on down the line, just, we had been talking about it for maybe a couple of years just to do maybe a tournament or two just to see. And the time ended up being right. So we went to Nashville earlier this month, played in a four or five tournament, and we won the whole thing. So
0: congratulations. Well, thank you. Now, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but Gino seems a little strong. For a four five, is that is that true? Or is, I uh concerned? he's he, he's, a, he's a strong. He's
1: a very very strong four or five. Yes, uh, and and in my case too, like even playing, I've I've only played like everything four oh. I won't lie to you. I haven't played anything four five five above. Uh with some people that I've hit with, they could they've said maybe four five to five, but I've never really experienced it. So he's strong. Yes, um, we've had our battles in singles as well and he pretty much runs through me I, i've gotten one set on him in the last month and i was excited about that because it happened right but he he's a pretty strong four or five
0: nick signs off on his emails with all day right you sign off with one more so i wanted to ask you where did that come from
1: one more just is kind of uh especially for tennis. It's a mantra of you always hit one more ball. You always want to hit one more ball than your opponent, or make them hit one more. So in that case, it's just being being more se- more so one step ahead. So get that one more rep in. Get that make that one more shot. Right.
0: So when did you adopt that mantra for
1: your tennis? Whew, maybe about a year and a half, two years ago, just because it was something that it really stuck with me and. Um. Actually, a friend of mine does one where he says ten more, but that's a totally different thing with his because he's got a podcast and he's a former Tiger. So
0: cool. So we both know that tennis, one of the major barriers to learning the game of tennis, is a financial one, and because tennis is pretty complicated to learn, so right. a lot of the time it costs a lot of money. Right. And I suppose the main. Selling point, as it were, of Tennis Memphis is that we make tennis teaching far more affordable for people who otherwise wouldn't afford tennis teaching. So, how do you view your mission along with the mission of Tennis Memphis, and and what does that all mean to you?
1: Well, I'm possibly a product of it because, again, I'm not coming for money. I'm a product of South Memphis. So, in that aspect alone, just knowing that. The same course that I've been teaching on the last year and a half, there are other boys and girls coming in similar, if not even a little bit lower predicament, that are learning, that want to learn, that are improving, that want to play. So that just furthers and pushes me every day.
0: That must mean an awful
1: lot. It's huge because, again, we see how – Tennis looks on TV.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Half the kids that come in, a lot of the times now, they've they've never seen anything like that. So this is just the start. So as they grow, they'll get to, hey, I can go here. I can see this. How many, how many kids can say that they've touched the clay court? There are not too many here.
0: So what are some goals that you have? Going forward with your, your time at tennis, map so are there any specific things that you would like to achieve while
1: here? Well, definitely want to grow Raleigh into a main facility. That's kind of a big thing. Uh, this way, it'll be utilized the way it should be. Honestly, just not necessarily for all tournaments, but to actually have kids of the Raleigh community, Fraser community, maybe even Bartlett community, coming out, learning tennis, and venturing out all around the city. That's one big thing. Two, continuing the mission of just bringing tennis to the inner city, bringing it to everybody, but especially the inner city because it's a game that's not seen. It's not basketball. It's not football. To a point, that it's not baseball. Those are the main three that they see. There's another outlet.
0: Right. Well, Alvin, uh, one more. Thank you very much for all that.
1: Fergus, appreciate it. And again, Go magicians, not your badgers. All
0: right. Thanks, Alvin. Thank you for listening to this interview with Alvin Abston. My name is Fergus O'Rourke, and I teach tennis at Eldon Rourke. If you have any questions about Tennis Memphis, or if you'd like to learn more about what we do, email tennisoffice at tennismemphis.org. Find us on Facebook or Instagram by searching for Tennis Memphis, or go to our website, tennismemphis.org. Thanks, and see you soon.